Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Mighty Littles podcast. This is Dr. Zimmerman. And today is going to be just me talking about the importance of words and language and terminology and the way we talk about things that are happening with ourselves, with our pregnancies, with our bodies, with our children, and just why I feel so passionately about this. Today is October 12th, and I am actually recording this podcast and releasing it on the same day because I am really behind after coming back from vacation. Uh, I think, I'm not sure why I feel the need to tell you guys that. I have a lot of people ask me, how do you get all of this done? How do you do your job and be a mom and have a podcast? And here I am to say, sometimes just doesn't go the way I plan it to go. This podcast was supposed to be recorded last week and I just was having a hard week. Uh, And it was interesting because I had just come back from vacation and my kids did a great job. We had a fun time. I was plugging my way through that post-vacation laundry And I was working in the graduate NICU, which is a fun place for me to be. I like being there. The babies are a little bit stronger and healthier, and the conversations are fun with the parents about, this is what has to happen in order for your baby to go home. But still, I was feeling just a little bit off. And after quite a bit of reflection and a little bit of talking, I realized that The reason that I was feeling such a weight on me was because going to Iceland with three children was hard. Now that may seem like a really simple sentence, but that is not an easy thing to say. I wanted to go to Iceland. I wanted to take my family on a vacation. I wanted this opportunity. I wanted it to be fun. And it was. We saw amazing things and diamond beaches and glaciers and ice caves and tremendous waterfalls. It was fun, but it was also incredibly hard. And it took me a while to be able to say that out loud and not feel bad about saying that that was hard. The reason I share that story is because For people that are going through the NICU or for people who have new babies at home, it can be wonderful and amazing and you can have a good outcome and it can be hard and it's okay to say that it is hard. So uh, here I am, October 12th, and I am going to record this episode on the importance of language, and then I'm going to quickly download it and do all of my editing and try to get it out today because Tuesday is my day that I release podcasts. Welcome to the Mighty Littles podcast. So let's jump into the importance of words and language. I will never forget listening to an NPR article about language 
and how things don't really have meaning until we put a word with them. And it was just a fascinating episode. And then as I was working on what I really wanted to say for this podcast, I found myself thinking back to that episode about words and language. And I want to start with this story. So my very first pregnancy, I lost somewhere in the six to eight weeks of pregnancy. I was working, I was at the unit, I was actually on call taking care of other people's babies. And the little bit of spotting that I had turned into a little bit more. And I'm fortunate enough that I work in a NICU next to the OB floor. One of my good friends who's a high-risk OB was on call. And she said, well, let's just do a quick ultrasound, make sure everything is okay. And it wasn't. Um, It wasn't okay. And she said that it was a chemical pregnancy. And I remember that those words just struck me as horrible, right? Um, And from a medical standpoint, I understand what they're saying. They're saying, you have all of the hormones of pregnancy and you don't have a baby. So you have the chemicals of pregnancy, but we don't see a viable baby. So medically, those terms make sense. But emotionally, those terms did not make sense to me. I felt pregnant. I was in love with being pregnant. I was in love with the idea of what this pregnancy was going to bring me over the next nine months. And I was giddy with excitement about becoming a mom. And then I have somebody tell me it's a chemical pregnancy. Well, it's not really a pregnancy. That's just one of those terms that I think is very demeaning to the experience of what it's like to lose a pregnancy. I was pregnant. I had an early loss. That was an early loss. So can we call it that an early loss as opposed to saying it's a chemical pregnancy as if it never existed and I shouldn't feel anything for it in the first place? That's kind of why I think talking about medical language and what we say is so important. So there is a lot of medical terminology, the words that we use when we're describing what's happening in medicine that place the blame and place guilt and shame on the patient. And that is no more true than in the realm of maternal health care, pregnancy health care. Here's a couple phrases. So we use incompetent cervix. Incompetent, that's a really nice term. We use geriatric pregnancy to refer to anybody who's pregnant over the age of 35. Geriatric pregnancy, really? Spontaneous abortion. A spontaneous abortion is essentially a pregnancy loss. You didn't choose to go through it. Um, These phrases really demean women and demean our bodies and place the blame on us for something that we have no control over. And this terminology can be devastating. If you look in old literature, you'll see terms like habitual aborter. Habitual aborter. I recurrently have abortions. I make a habit out of having abortions. 
But what they're really describing is a woman who continues to get pregnant, who wants to be pregnant, and suffers through an incredible loss of that pregnancy. Something that she wants. So she's women are going through something that's emotionally painful, and then we're placing these medical terms of habitual aborter. Instead of blaming women for what's happening, why don't we use descriptive medical terms? So you're not a habitual aborter. You are suffering recurrent early pregnancy loss. Do you see how that's different? Habitual aborter places the blame on the woman. And suffering recurrent early pregnancy loss actually has empathy for the fact that this woman is going through a loss for these pregnancies. Here are a few more examples. So incompetent cervix. What about early cervical opening? Geriatric pregnancy. Really what we're talking about is people over the age of 35 who are pregnant. And I get it. Back in the 1920s, people got pregnant when they were 16. And by the time they were 30, they were old. Most women now are getting pregnant in their 20s and 30s. And a lot of my friends uh, did not even start having babies until their mid-30s. Spontaneous abortion. I think abortion is so stigmatized in this country that taking that language out of an early, of a pregnancy loss, right? Like you had a spontaneous pregnancy loss. I think that term abortion really stigmatizes that loss. Uh, or even failure to progress, right? So you're having a slowed labor. You didn't fail at anything. Your body slowed in labor. And we need to do something to help your body and to deliver your baby safely. The problem with medical terminology is that it's not just limited to women in pregnancy, right? Like it's one thing if somebody's saying something about me. I'm a grown woman. I can take it. That's another thing entirely when they start talking about my kids. So I wanted to give you a few examples of why terminology can be so painful. So if you look back in medical textbooks, uh, even as recently as the 1990s, you will see the term FLK. And it means funny looking kid. That was a medical term. This baby is an FLK. I find that to be offensive. If I was a parent of a child and somebody said, well, your baby is an FLK, I would be offended. Really what we're trying to say is that your baby has multiple congenital anomalies and we're worried about your baby. So let's do that. Let's just talk about what the anomalies are and not put a judgment on it. The judgment is the funny looking, right? You're the one deciding if it's funny looking or not. What it is, is multiple congenital anomalies. Another example comes out of the NICU, wimpy white boy. So when you look statistically at outcomes in the NICU, boys who are Caucasian sometimes have a harder go of things in the NICU than their female counterparts at the same age and same gestation. Some white males have a harder go of it compared with non-white males, so Hispanic, Black, but wimpy white boy, even if we say it lovingly, oh, your baby's doing fine, he's just a wimpy white boy, right? Like, even when we say that, we are placing judgment on that child, and it can be offensive to the parent. And we need to be really careful when we're using language like that 
that we aren't being offensive. That term, wimpy white boy, is very offensive to families. Failure to thrive, that's another one. So babies who don't have good weight gain. We're saying this baby has failure to thrive. That is the medical term that we use. But who's the failure? Is it the mom that's the failure because she's not feeding her baby right? Is it the mom that's the failure because she's not doing something right? Is it the baby that's the failure because they're just incapable of gaining weight? No, nobody is failing. Everybody is trying to do best by this baby. This baby has slow growth or inadequate growth. And when you describe what's actually happening, inadequate growth, it gives you an idea of how you need to per- to proceed, right? We need to find a way for your child to grow optimally so that we have good growth, good bone health, good organ health, and good brain growth. We're not labeling anybody as a failure. The next one I want to talk about is breast is best. This came out of a campaign to increase breastfeeding rates in the United States in the 1980s and 1990s. But what is implicit in saying breast is best is that formula is failing. And there is nothing failing about using formula to ensure your baby is growing and thriving. So fed is best. Fed is best. We want thriving, healthy babies. And I don't fault people for coming up with terminology where we're trying to promote breast milk is really healthy. Yes, we want you to breastfeed. It's great. But inherent in phrases like breast is best, it's best. It means anything else is not best. So how about breast is great? Formula is fantastic. Okay, try to stay away from things that lead to shame and guilt if you can't do it. Um, I would argue the same is true for someone who's a stay-at-home mom, right? Well, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom. You stay at home. Well, actually, what you are is a full-time caregiver to your children. That is a phenomenal thing to be. And then the last thing I really want to talk about with, med- with terminology is something that's even, I think, more personal, and, and that's how we can get labeled, right? So you have attention problems and you're labeled as ADHD. Your child has special needs and so they're labeled as special needs or disabled or differently abled or handicapped. And all of these words kind of get used interchangeably but can be used very differently or perceived differently from the people who are living that life on a day-to-day basis, who are dealing with those labels on a day-to-day basis. And many families have really, really strong opinions about whether they want to be disabled or differently abled or handicapped or have special needs. And it's our responsibility when we're using these words, to be respectful of how they feel about them. So I wanted to give you just a couple of suggestions about how to approach these words and labels when you're thinking about it. If you're a nurse or you're a physician or you're a parent, how do we kind of think about these labels? So first is, I think, just having an awareness of how impactful 
language can be, what an impact language has, that's the first step to to just put it in the front of your mind. Hey, I should be aware of this language. The second thing is really to use terminology to describe what is happening instead of using the outdated language that places blame on the patient. So using early cervical opening instead of incompetent cervix. Using early pregnancy loss instead of spontaneous abortion, right? So just describe what's happening. You are having an early pregnancy loss. As medical professionals, we need to use narrative medical language in our charting, in our notes, in our conversations with our parents. Our patients that we're caring for have a voice in their health care. And if they have a voice and an opinion about how they want to talk about their medical situation, we, sh- we should be respectful of that. And then lastly is instead of just labeling people as X, Y, or Z, how about we try to understand how these different diagnoses and how these different labels are affecting the individual? So those are kind of my my takeaways are those four. Coming up next the next two weeks on the podcast, I'm actually talking to Maddie and Maddie delivered her first baby premature and it wasn't until after she delivered her child that she was diagnosed with an incompetent cervix and then she went on to have a second pregnancy with a cerclage and delivered at term. And she has made it her mission to stop using the term incompetent cervix and rather use early cervical opening. Again, I think this is one of those classic examples where we are labeling a mom as incompetent when she has no control over what's happening. And rather, we can just describe what is happening Her cervix is opening early, early cervical opening. That describes what's happening. So she's going to be on the podcast over the next couple weeks talking about her pregnancy, her delivery, and then about all of the research that she's done in pursuing a master's degree and writing a thesis all about early cervical opening. So I really hope that you found a couple of good pearls from this episode and that you join us the next couple weeks to hear Maddie's story. It's going to be just great. You keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.